Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Hard to believe that this is our last time together. I thought I was going to hear more sniffing. It's just me. I have a cold. Okay. Anyways, maybe you're glad. How many of you guys are like really tired? Like you're just, okay. How many of you guys could do a couple more days if we would just open it up to you? All right. Some, you know, the odd thing is some of you are like, yeah, I'm tired and I could do a couple more days. You're like, you just like raising your hand. How many of you would just raise your hand if I said, raise your hand? Good job. All right. So yesterday, yesterday, when we went through the illustration of the gift, um, we kind of showed each one justification and adoption, sanctification, two aspects of sanctification that were to continue growing, were viewed as perfect, but also to, to, to continue growing. We just came off a holiday, Christmas, you guys probably remember, um, a little while ago. And when you finally go back to school, which you have now, right? All right, okay. When you finally go back to school, it's interesting the things we talk about after Christmas break. We don't say, hey, what'd you guys eat for Christmas dinner? Ham, huh? Wow. Ham to celebrate the Jewish Messiah. You know, Jesus never had ham when he was, anyways, whatever. Um, we eat pot roast at my house. We, I'm not a big fan of turkey, and I think it's weird to eat ham for the Jewish Messiah's uh, thing. I just think it's weird, but I would eat it if it was there. I was watching The Grinch, and he was like, I'd carve the roast beast. I was like, that's what we're doing. We're going to have roast beef. Not beast, but beef. And so we've had that every year since the um, live-action Grinch came out. So that's just our, our thing. But that's not the conversations we had. I didn't tell anybody we had roast beef when I went back to church and back to school where I, I work at school as a campus pastor at a Christian school. I didn't tell anybody that. Like, the question you ask, some people are like, was Santa Claus good to you? If they're over 60, that's what they say. But the rest of them will, will uh, come up to you and say, uh, uh, hey, what'd you get for Christmas? Nobody's like, hey, I like to throw them off and be like, hey, what'd you give for Christmas? What did you give somebody? I don't care what you got. Anyways, the, but I got new, I don't care about your shoes. Anyways, what did you give for Christmas? But like, we do, we, that's the main thing we do is talk about what we got, isn't it? It's the main thing. Like, like Christmas happened. What did you do over Christmas? And like, hey, what'd you get for Christmas? That's the main thing. We've got this awesome gift that we've been given. And if you've accepted that gift, if you've been part of the family of God, not just freed from your sins, and not just looked at as holy and perfect, and not just trying to get you to be more of who God created you to be, but literally being adopted into the family of God, being part of this family unit that he set up that he is the father of, you know, that makes, when you look at the whole Trinity, that makes you like a brother or sister of Jesus. That's pretty cool. He's like, I'm going to bring you on par here. You're part of the family. Then when we get a gift like that, the best gift you could ever receive, what we ought to do is go back and tell people what we got. Man, I got to tell you about my gift. This is so cool. Like, this is, this is probably the best Christmas gift I've ever got. This is the best. And honestly, that's the gift that accumulated at Christmas. That's, that's how it started off. God's like, I've got this gift. Here it is, and I'm going to bring it in a manger. I always thought that was kind of weird, you know, in a manger. And almost every sermon I ever heard about um, Jesus being in a manger was all about, um, you know, he was humbled because he was on a throne in heaven, and now he's in a feeding trough. Isn't that great? But really, there's a bigger picture there. 
No, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. Jesus says that we have to not literally, but figuratively eat his flesh and drink his blood, which is a hard saying. And a lot of people are like, I don't think I want to do that. And they walked away when he said that. But he actually came in the one part of the stable that provides sustenance for all who are normally in a stable, where they get their food from, where they get their meal from, that Jesus came so that he could be our nourishment so we wouldn't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And Jesus is the living word. You should call a church that. That would be cool, right? Uh, <laughs> because that's who he is. And we go back and we share this gift. And so maybe you accepted that gift of salvation for the first time this week. And you're still starting to unpack some of those boxes that are inside the gift. And Jesus is like, oh, wait, wait, there's more in the bag. Pull out that one. That one's cool. Yeah, pull out that. No, no, no. There's more than, there's more than that. There are so many people that get stuck on one of those gifts or forget about the adoption part of it, and they just beat themselves up over and over again, and they think that God is some angry, distant Father in heaven who's always upset with us and always wants us to just get our act together, and so they're always on pins and needles, or they're in the process of getting up from one failure after another failure, and God sees you as a believer as perfect as righteous, as holy. He sees what Jesus did, living a perfect life, now given to you. And now he wants to help you to live more and more like his son. We're gonna finish up our story of Hosea today. And some things have happened kind of in between the lines. All of a sudden we pick up on Hosea and Gomer and some things have happened that aren't really mentioned. It's gotten to a crescendo. It's like really, really bad. Like we don't see any arguments at home. All we have seen so far, God's like, hey, there's a lady who's gonna end up being promiscuous. That's the understanding of the original language, remember, that she wasn't already, but she would be and God knew it. And God knew we would mess up and loved us anyway. So he has this picture and Gomer comes into this family and God starts to share this object lesson with all of Israel. And then the kids, you remember the kids' names? Um, what they meant, one of them was scattered. One of them was what? Somebody yell it out. Not loved. <laughs> Not loved. Come get your present. <laughs> it's wrapped in a sock. Anyways, and the third one was, do you remember? Not my people. And when we finished up yesterday, God was saying, look, these are all the bad things that should happen to you. And, you know, you're going to be scattered and you're going to be not my people for a time. And you're not going to feel my compassion. But then he says, I will allure her. I'll bring her back. And I'll say, come on, you know, you're my bride. And at the end, he says, you will be loved. You will be called my people. I will unscatter you. Is that a word? Anyways, I will bring you back together and you won't call me master anymore, you'll call me husband, and you'll call me God. That's a really cool thing. But, and, and so we get this whole picture of what God's doing with Israel, and then we jump back into the Hosea Gomer narrative that the whole country's watching. It's like keeping up with the, the Hoseas. You know, it's a different thing, like the Kardashians. Like everybody knows this family in Israel. Oh, he's the guy with the wife who's, who looks at every guy and is like, hey, big boy, and winks, you know, like, that's Hosea, poor guy, and he's got those kids with the funky names that mean terrible stuff, like, poor guy, and, and he's probably going to lose it at some point and be like, get over there, woman, and stop that! 
stop flirting with everybody. You know, I mean, he's going to lose. We're just waiting for Hosea to just go off. This object lesson God has asked him to do is worse than the time Isaiah walked around naked for three years. Like, it's worse than cooking over poo because that happened with a prophet. Like, this is, this is terrible. He's got to live with this every single day. When Isaiah walked around naked, it really wasn't terrible for him. It was terrible for everyone else because he was an old man, all right? So, like, but when this is happening, when the, yeah, he's just like, well, well, I'm glad I'm in the Middle East and not in a colder climate. Anyways, but here you've got Hosea living this out, and she gets so promiscuous. Now, this, in this society, if you cheated on your husband or cheated on your wife, they would bring you before everybody and throw rocks at you until you died. That's crazy. I mean, like, I mean that's, that's like, okay, yeah. Have you ever been punished like that? No, no. Like, I mean, all, even, even when I was growing up and spanking was like the go-to move of every parent. Like, Belt's secondary function was to hold up the pants. The primary function was to uh, make sure that I couldn't put on my pants without pain. Oh, my Hurts. Anyway, so like, that, that's what it was for. But like, nothing compared to throwing rocks at people. I've been hit with a rock before, not for punishment, just because kids are being dumb and the rock just hits me. I've thrown rocks that have hit other people. But I'm not, when I see that I hit them, I'm like, dude, are you all right? I'm not like, everybody, <laughs> he's too far gone. Let's finish him off. You know, this is what they would do to people who committed adultery. And if you had been so scandalous to do this, one of the things that God hadn't told them to do, but people would do, people that, they would devalue you based on the bad stuff you were doing. So if there was a prostitute, if there was somebody, and it alludes to the fact that she was getting like money from people and things for people, um, just like they were with idolatry and, and considering all the idols as their providers, she was getting provision from some of these guys who weren't even going to stay in her life. And here Hosea is suffering through this. And she gets picked up kind of as a prostitute and people with no value. And they decide this can't be anybody important. And they bring her to sell her as a slave. Like on the auction block. And that's got to be kind of a sense for Hosea as like, well, she got what she deserved. I guess I can, it, once she's like sold off and everything, maybe God will provide me a better wife. Maybe this whole object lesson is over, but it is not over because that's not where God would be willing to leave you. It's not where God was willing to leave Israel. See, Jesus saw where we were knew who we would become, knew we would rebel against him, knew we would do the things that hurt his heart. And he said, they can't get out of this on their own. I've got to buy them back. I've got to, I've got to be the ransom for them. I'm going to go to the cross, give my life on their behalf, and give them this awesome gift of salvation that's in multiple parts, but it's, it's I start this process in them that's going to make them the best possible version of themselves, but make sure that sin never has the final word on them again. That's an awesome thing that Jesus does, and so he doesn't leave Gomer there either. Can you imagine the shame? And you already know you have a bad reputation at this point. People don't think highly of you. And here she is, probably standing in shackles on the auction block as the next item up for bid. And she feels like she's just nothing 
and worthless and just an object and somebody to just serve in someone's household from here on out. But God doesn't leave it that way. Here's what it says in chapter 3. And we're just going to look at, I believe, four, five verses this morning here in chapter, th- in chapter 3. And then we're going to parallel it with a passage in the New Testament. The Lord said to me, this is Hosea talking, go show love to your wife again. See, this whole time, she had been doing all this stuff and he basically let her go do what she was gonna do just like God was letting Israel go and do what they were gonna do and follow their idols and chase those thirsts we talked about the other day. And she was chasing all those things, trying to find fulfillment, never finding it. And then he gets word that she's on the auction block and he hears about it from God. This means she probably hasn't been at home for a long time now. She just kind of ran off, abandoned her kids not loved, had to feel really not loved at that point, right? <laughs> Man, where's the mom? <laughs> she doesn't love you. Anyway, so, I mean, she's, she's gone. And the Lord says to me, go show love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Those are from Little Debbie. Have you seen them? I'm just kidding. So they would use these raisin cakes that they would offer to idols. And I don't know what it is about raisins that idols love. Um, probably uh, the fact that idols can't talk and don't have a mind and don't, and don't have, know enough to be like, raisin cakes aren't as good as the oatmeal cream pies. Why, who buys the raisin cakes with the little, you know what I'm talking about? They're like, they've got cream in the middle and they're just like spongy yellow cake, but not as good as a Twinkie. And then raisins are on the top. Most stores don't even sell them anymore because they know they're going to go out of date and they're going to have to throw them away. They're gross. Anyways, but that's what an idol would be like. No, if it could talk. I don't want a raisin cake. Bring bring me a Star Crunch or a Swiss roll. Like bring me something good. Um, But they don't. Anyways, that's what happens when you have ADHD, LMNOP. You see raisin cakes and you go off on the worst possible snack food. Okay. Was there somebody here who likes those? No, these are just the people who said they like to raise their hand. So, we, yeah. oh, way back there? Okay, now people are like, oh, it's those people. I, looked, I didn't realize I liked raisin cakes, but 30 seconds into it when nobody else raised their hand, it must be me. I'm the lover of raisin cakes. Okay, here we go. So he said, so I bought her. This is what he did. So I bought her for 15 shekels. That's like six ounces of silver. That's roughly between, depending on what silver fluctuation is right now, between 80 and 100 bucks, somewhere around there. All right, so not much. She wasn't worth anything to anybody at this point. And he goes in and he buys her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Now, we're obviously using different measurements nowadays. That's basically about 430 pounds of barley. He's like, oh, not enough silver for it? 80, I got 80 bucks. I got 80 bucks on me, but I also have grain. <laughs> well, now you're talking my language. Bring over the bushels of grain. Boys, load it up in the truck or on the camel. You know, like, so he, he, he gives some grain from his farm. He gives some silver, and they bring her to him, and she has to look up and see this husband who should despise her, who should put her away, who should bring her before the elders and let them throw rocks at her till she's dead. Like, she's not worth anything to anybody, but somehow she still has value in her husband's eyes. 
And I don't know if she really did have value in her husband's eyes, but I know that Hosea was obedient to God and we have value in God's eyes. And so Hosea completed the object lesson by buying her back. I wonder like what went through his mind if he thought, really God, this is what you want me to do? But it had to have shaken him to the core to know that no matter how far away he could walk from God, that God would be willing to buy him back through what Jesus would do in the years to come on the cross. So I bought her with 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a leaf like a barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or intimate with any other man. And I will behave the same towards you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. And the ephod was something they wore that the priest wore, and it had a lot of symbol. You can look up stuff about the ephod later, but it's good stuff. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. When we truly get who God is and we truly understand the depths of his love for us, that nothing can separate you from his love, that, that there's not a place you can walk to, there's not something that you can stoop down to a certain level where God's like, ooh, ooh, they're below my love. I didn't think it was going to happen, but <sighs> I just can't now. He makes up the difference for us. And when I think about this passage in, in chapter three of Hosea, it takes me back to another story. And you saw a version of this yesterday on the screen when we watched those short little parables that are kind of versions of parables that are like cartoons. You know what I'm talking about? Like somebody's using a picture book. And we talked about the guy who went and he ended up in the subway and a little girl talked to him and stuff. It's taken from this story of the prodigal son, of this one who walked as far away as he possibly could from his father, but never away from his father's love. It's interesting that he felt like his father wouldn't love him. We're going to look at this passage in a second. It's interesting. Think about Jesus on the cross for a second. One of the weirdest phrases that he said was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He asks God the Father why he has like turned his back on him. And a lot of theologians believe that that's exactly the case. They're like, yep, God couldn't look at him because he had sin and everything else as if God can't look at a world with sin in it and he's unaware of what we're doing. He does know what we're doing. Could it possibly be, just throwing this out there, that because Jesus was not just 100% God, he was 100% man, that when sin was placed on him and he became sin for us who never knew any sin, he actually became that sin, that he felt exactly like you do and I do when we're living in sin. We feel like God is a million miles away when he's not. Next phrase out of Jesus' mouth was, in your, into your hands I commit my spirit. And God wasn't like, huh, what, who? Jesus was calling, what's going on? I was way over here. You know, like he takes him at that point when Jesus dies. I feel like he just felt the same way we do. Everything we went through, all the temptation, all the stuff, Jesus went through the same kind of stuff. So check out this parable, this story that Jesus told. He says, this is in Luke 15, 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. 
And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. In some translations, it actually says um, with prostitutes. Like he was basically doing the same stuff Gomer was doing, and he was, but he was shelling out the money. He's on the other side of the equation for that. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Now, the Jewish people didn't eat pork. We established that with the Christmas dinner, right? You know, uh, they didn't eat pork. They, they thought pigs were unclean. Pigs actually did carry this type of parasite called trichinosis back then, which could make you super, super sick. It would cause trichinosis. And so God was actually just looking out for them with that rule. But here he was working with all these unclean animals. He longed, he got paid so little, check this out. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. I don't even know what that is. Like there's a lot of commentary on what those pods might've been, but let's just say it's like pig slop. Okay. Uh, But no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He wasn't interested in being his father's son anymore. He thought that ship has sailed. He'll never take me back. But perhaps he would hire me. I could just be one of the servants. I'll live in, the, I'll live in a servant's quarters. I don't I even have to be in the main house. I can do whatever. Like I don't have to... I'm not worthy. And so he goes back to his dad with this plan. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And check this out. He ran to his son. He had been waiting there the whole time and he didn't wait for him to come up or grovel or anything. I'm sure it took the son off guard because he probably wasn't looking up. He's looking down. He's like, man, I'm not worthy to be back here. Man, this is gonna be the most awkward conversation of my life. The last time I was here, I was all prideful and asking for my dad's money. Yeah, I don't need to wait till you die. I can be, I can be my own man. He's got his head down and somebody's running. I don't know if he noticed his dad was running uh, before he got to him, if he heard the sound of the sandals like clomping on the footpath or if he just saw a shadow kind of overtake him before he got embraced. But his dad runs to him. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, he had already rehearsed this, remember? I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But then his dad interrupts him. He's not able to ask to be a servant. The father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring to put on his finger and sandals on his feet. It'd be like you showing back up after all those years and your dad being like, get him the best jacket possible and let's get some new kicks on this boy's feet and let's give him like let's give him the best stuff that money can buy for him to wear bring the fattened calf let's let's what have we been saving up jumbo over there we're gonna eat him all right so he points at this cow he's like oh my goodness we're gonna have steak tonight 
Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now he had never really died, but this is, this is showing what we're like when we have spiritual death, when we've never had a relationship with God. And he says, oh, I've got all kinds of good gifts for you. I've got this for you. Here's, here's my salvation. Come into my family. You're not be called my son. Are you crazy? You're my kid. You're my boy. And he brings him in. And they start the celebration. Meanwhile, dun, dun, dun. There's another character in the story that didn't make it into the video back here. You're getting ready to go back, and hopefully it's to tell people about the gift you have. Even if you didn't get it this weekend, if you've had this gift, maybe you unpack some more of the gift, and you start pulling out some of those other boxes and be like, you know what, I know I was justified, but now I totally get that I'm also adopted. He's not a father looking down on me like, ooh, what have you done wrong this week? He's looking to be proud of me. He wants me to understand this. And those other gifts, the glasses, how he sees you now, the Play-Doh, how he's molding you. Like I get more of that. When we grasp how wide and deep and high the love of God is, we should tell other people what we happen to get. You ought to know about the coolest present I ever got. I've been set free. I've had a robe put around me and a ring put on my finger, really cool kicks on my feet. And it is awesome because my God loves me. And we share that with other people. But meanwhile, this is what I don't want us to be going back. There were two sons. Remember the beginning of the story? There were two sons. The other son reacts differently. The other son is kind of like the kid who has always gone to youth group and stuff and kind of does the right thing and kind of is relying on the fact that they do the right thing rather than on just the relationship with the father because it's not making him love the other people around him. When you have this relationship vertical working out, it should spread horizontally to everybody else. But not so with this brother. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. They, they were just having a party in there. It's like, let's get it started. Ha. Anyways, it was just, I mean, he's like, what's going on in the house? The bass is kicking. And, and he gets close. I don't know if there was really bass. I don't know what they were using for instruments. It's probably like a harp. Anyways, but they were excited. So he called to one of the servants and asked him, hey, what's going on? They said, your brother has come home, and your father has killed a fattened calf because of him. He's back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. His attitude towards the lost brother was one of, serves him right. He made his own bed, let him lie in it, like whatever. And he gets angry and he refuses to go into the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Like, we didn't even get to eat goat on a stick, right? You know, with my friends, they come over, no goat on the stick. It's basically equivalent of pizza bagels now. But anyways, like, we didn't have anything to celebrate with my friends, and I've been slaving for you. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Remember back to Hosea where he says, you'll no longer call me my master, you'll call me my husband. You'll call me 
my God, there's a, there's a switch there in the understanding. This older brother, this guy who's just kind of sitting back to the side, he's like, I've been slaving for you. I've been doing this for you. And God didn't say, oh yeah, I noticed that, that you're for me. He didn't care that he was for him. He said, you are always with me. See, relationships about being with God, not for God. We're not doing things for God. He doesn't need anything to sustain him. He doesn't need air, oxygen, food, anything. What can you do for a God who doesn't need anything? He wants us, not needs us. And so he wants us to be with him, not for him. To not have to call him my master, but say, this is my husband. This is my God. This is the one. I'm in a family with this guy. And he uses the terminology of husband, of dad, of friend, of all of these things throughout scripture to let us know that the closest human relationships we have pale in comparison to what it's like to be in a relationship to God. So my prayer for you is, as we go back home, that if you've never told anybody else about the gift of salvation that you have, that you start to say, you got, I gotta tell you the coolest thing I've ever gotten in my life. I've gotta tell you about this person who loves me more than anything that I could never walk far enough away from to where he would let go of me. And he loves me too much to leave me the way he found me. And so every day, every day I'm dying to myself just a little bit more to my own selfish desires, to my own way. And I'm walking with him and walking closer to him, not to keep salvation, not to get salvation, but out of gratitude for all the stuff that he's already done in my life because he knows what's best for me. I want to walk in that. Don't be like the older brother in the prodigal son story. Realize that other people coming to faith is the whole reason why God left you on earth after you became a Christian. Think about that for a second. If sin was separating you from God, then him removing the sin with that first gift in the bag of justification, justified never sinned, Sin's been removed. He can have a relationship with you face to face. He could just bring you right up to heaven. He leaves you here so that you can bring other people. That skit we saw last night, the monologue, where Jesus tells the bride, tells the church, you were supposed to invite other guests to the wedding. We got to go out and tell people that there's, there's more room in this family. This family is not done. They're not like, we have too many children. God is like, uh, after I adopt the next one, I'm going to adopt some more. And more and more and more. That's a picture of that. Some of you guys may have come from a home where you have been adopted or where you've adopted somebody else. You get a little picture of what this is like. Because unlike the two kids that were born into my family, I didn't get to pick them. I don't even know if I would have chosen those specific ones. I'm just joking. But the adoption my wife and I are involved in now there's, there's, there's a sense of we're looking for that kid that God is calling into our family. What an awesome thing. And God, in his infinite love and infinite riches as king of the universe, says, hey, the price has already been paid for everyone who will step into this family. So let's take that message back to other people. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for each and every student who's here Lord, for a weekend where we can reflect on who you are in, a, in, a, in an amazingly, probably horrible object lesson for Hosea to go through, God, but you got people's attention and you're still getting people's attention through that object lesson. Lord, I thank you that you loved us 
enough to buy us back on that auction block when we were slaves to sin and to say, I can free you from those shackles and I can bring you into my family and we can be one family. So Lord, we thank you and praise you for the truths of your word that you're teaching us that are just drenched in your love. And Lord, I pray that students who've made any type of commitment this weekend wouldn't just be content to pull out the justification box and be cool that they're forgiven, Lord, but they would embrace their role in the family, that they would start to let you mold them and conform them into the image of your son. Thank you for what you've done this week. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.